period. And while he was gone, the church got into all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of issues um, that were going on within the church. And so Paul loves these people and he cares about them. In fact, later on, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, he was speaking about himself and other leaders. He said, we're not lording it over your faith. Rather, we are helpers of your joy. And that's Paul's heart. He wants them to be full of joy, to experience the joy of Jesus, the peace that comes only from the work of the Lord in our hearts and our lives. And people were coming to church, and they didn't find peace at church, by the way. Why? Because there was fighting going on. There was little groups and little schisms and little divisions and over petty issues, you guys. And Paul is reminding them, he's pointing them back to Jesus and pointing them back to the cross. It's Jesus and the cross where he was crucified that should not as bring us into right relationship with the Lord, but in right relationship with one another. That's what connects us together. It's Jesus and his amazing grace, his amazing sacrifice for us. And so they weren't experiencing joy. And I'm learning more and more, um, you will be unhappy, you will be without joy if your life is not holy. And you're not, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're, not, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, that means you're not separate. You're not set apart for the Lord. They're not experiencing the love, the joy, the peace that God intends for us, being part of his kingdom, being part of his family, that we should be experiencing um, as his children. And so Paul, this is uh, very corrective in nature. And so Paul reminds the church in the, we're going to finish the chapter. We are going to finish the chapter this morning. Uh, In verses 26 on down to verse 31, Paul reminds the Corinthians and us, listen, of our calling this morning. He reminds us of our calling and that we have nothing to boast in because the Corinthians were all about boasting. They were trusting in their own wisdom, their own strength. They thought they were super awesome, super special, the few, the proud, the spiritual marines. And Paul's going to remind them, we got nothing to boast in but the Lord. In him. So let's check it out. Verse 26, we find the kind of people God chooses, what he wants to do with them and why. Verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are why that no flesh should glory in his presence but of him. You are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Glory in the Lord. Listen, if you didn't get offended last week, you'll be offended this morning. And if you, weren't, if you don't get offended this morning, at some point during the book of 1 Corinthians, you will get offended. God is an equal opportunity offender, you guys. And you can e- we can either like receive it and repent and make adjustments, or we can get stiff-necked and go the opposite direction and get a hard heart 
And so I pray this morning that we receive this with tender hearts. We see about, we're learning about God's calling on our lives as Christians. And so look, let me uh, draw your attention to verse 26. Paul says, for you see, some of your Bibles may say consider, consider your calling. And it's in the Greek verb tense to be continually or habitually or over and over as a lifestyle be observant, be watchful, habitually consider what? Your calling. Listen, God has called us, has he not? We learned that back in the first chapter. We're still in the first chapter. Back in chapter 1, verse 9. Look what it says to me real quick. Just flip over there. Just draw your attention over to verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God called you and he called me. He invited us into what? Into fellowship, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And not only that, Jesus calls us, doesn't he? To follow him, to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and to follow him. So the Lord has called us. We've responded. Hopefully everyone here has responded to his call. And it says As we look at this, consider your calling. God's invited you to walk with him, to follow him, to serve him. And notice what Paul says, brethren. He reminds us that we are family. Is that a song? We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? We're in this together. And he says, listen, family, be continually considering this, that not many, very few, very few people with worldly wisdom... Very few powerful or strong people, very few noble, or that means high ranking. In ancient times, listen, the only way to be successful in those times was to be royalty, was to be affluent, was to be uh, upper echelon, upper crust, if you will. Today we might say not many wealthy or prominent. Please notice it doesn't say not any. It says not many. There are a few exceptions. But God, but by and large, what is the church comprised of? All we got to do is look around the room. Here's a list, you guys. No, I didn't hear any amens when we were going through that list, by the way. But this is us, by and large. Who does God personally and deliberately choose? Verse 27. He has chosen the foolish things of the world. That word, we get the word uh, from this word in Greek, moron. He has chosen morons. Why? To put to shame means to, some of your Bibles may say confound, and it's continually, it's to continually put to shame, continually astonish, continually amaze, continually dumbfound, blow away, disprove, demolish, disgrace, or refute who? Those with worldly human wisdom. God has chosen number two. He personally and deliberately chooses who? The what does your Bible say? The weak things of the world. The word weak means feeble, incapacitated, those with no strength, living in a state of weakness. It also means, check this out, those with insufficient resources. We would say that person doesn't got what it takes. That's the second person. Why? To put to shame, to continually confound, refute, disprove who? The mighty. The powerful. Verse 28. Number three. Who else has God chosen? The base things 
Those who are literally low-born or no family. That means, in other words, you're not noble, you're not nobility. In other words, you're shabby, improper, lowly, common. We would say no-namers. God calls the no-namers. Who else? Despised. Literally means those rejected for having no value, counted as nothing, nobodies. We might say weirdos. Still no amens? I'm saying amen for me. God has personally and deliberately chosen you and me. The last group of people, things which are not. You know what that means? Zeros, nothings, we might say losers. Why does God do it this way? Look what it says. To bring to nothing, to make inactive, to render inoperative, to deprive of force, influence, or power those that seem to be something. So what's he saying here? Listen, if you got no brains, no strength, you're a no-name, weirdo, nobody, loser, zero, guess what? God's looking for you. The Lord says you're perfect. You're exactly what I want. God wants weirdos and losers. We're a perfect fit. That means we all fit in, you guys. Those things not only qualify us to be part of the body, part of the family of God, but that qualifies us to be used by God as well. I love this because God is equal opportunity. This means all of us, this is so glorious this morning, this should be liberating and freeing for some of us this morning. I know it was first service, like half the people in the room prayed after service to be used by the Lord, to move beyond the fear, to move beyond the timidity, to realize, yes, I can be used by God. This means all of us can be used by God in a special way. Because listen, God wants to show himself mighty on your behalf. The heart that's loyal to him. The heart that's just given over to him. God wants to show how mighty is God. He wants to show his might, his wisdom, his power through your life. And here's the deal. The Corinthians forgot about that. The Corinthians forgot how they came into the kingdom and they forgot how we are to continue in the kingdom. They forgot where they came from. They forgot where they were going. Worldly values began to influence the church. Rather than the church influencing and impacting the community, Corinth was infecting and affecting the church. Let me remind us how we came into the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's realizing I am bankrupt apart from you, Lord. I need you. And not only that's how we enter in, that's how we continue on too. Correct? Or do we think now that I'm in, I'm, I'm, pretty, I got, I'm pretty hot stuff, man. I got it going on. No, I have to realize that's how I'm to continue. In brokenness, in humility. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you're trying to demonstrate how awesome you are, but in reality, don't forget who you are and where you came from. We all got picked because we're losers, weirdos, things that nobody wants, something that is worthless. And what does God do? He puts within us something of eternal worth, and that's Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul will later write, you have this treasure in earthen vessels. Literally, crackpots. Bunch of crackpots. We have this we have this treasure, Jesus Christ in us. How glorious. Inside we know it's true. We're really not all that, you guys. But you know what we do? We pretend to be something. 
We try to convince ourselves we're better than those other nuts, weirdos, and losers. But in reality, that's what we are. And that's what the church is comprised of. God looked at, looked and saw our weakness and said, I can do something with that. You are just right. You guys ever look at the disciples and wonder, how in the world did God choose those guys? You ever think about, you ever think about his choosing? The 12? Think about it. If you're going to turn the world right side up, or upside down, right side up, who, who would you choose? Think about that with me. Who would we choose today? Who would you choose if you're going to turn the world upside down today? We definitely got to go to the seminaries, Bible colleges, get the top students. We need, we need, you know what we need to do? We need to get some, we need to, we need to get some superstars. Who are some actors, some singers that we can put up there on stage? We need some millionaires to bankroll the thing, don't we? Got to have some fundage. Correct? Who did Jesus choose? Fishermen? Fishermen that like to fight, think they're the greatest? IRS man, thank you. How about the zealot, a terrorist, a political activist? Lord, these are the guys? I wonder sometimes, is that why Jesus prayed all night long before he chose them? <laughs> Father, are you sure about these guys? <laughs> The rougher, the better. I look at our church. I love our church. It is so beautiful. It is so glorious. Anyone can say, I fit in here. I'm messed up. I'm a weirdo like everyone else, including the pastor. <laughs> Trophies of God's grace. I, I Personally, I cannot believe what God has done in this church with you guys, with us. It's amazing. I was, in our church planting class, we're going through 2 Timothy. And this just kind of oh, exploded in my heart. God, or uh, Paul, God through Paul reminding Timothy about our calling. Please listen to this. 2 Timothy 1.9 speaks about God. It was God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Do you know your calling is holy on your life? It's sacred. It's special. God has called you, you and me with a holy calling. Because of our great works? Because we're so super special? No. He's, he goes on to say, not according to our works. We somehow think we have to earn and, and I got to do this and I got to do that. He called you. Why? Because he says, but according to his own purpose and grace. Because God has purposes attached to your life. And grace, grace is unearned, undeserved kindness and favor. God just says, I want to blow you away with my kindness and my goodness and my favor. Will you just give me your heart? Just give me your life. And watch what I'll do. Jesus said to those same disciples, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. You ever meditate on that? All he says is come hang out with me. Come spend time with me. And I, that's a promise. I will be literally making you a fisher of men. That's glorious. And so we look at verse 26 just for a second again. And so he says, you see your calling, continually consider this. And I, studying this week, I'm like, why do I need to continually consider this? Because if I honestly look at myself, I realize, you know what? I don't measure up. I need to be reminded of that. I need Jesus desperately. We learned, we learned last week that Jesus, for us, has become the power of God and wisdom of God. I need his strength. I need his wisdom. And if I don't, I need, I need to continually look to his resources. 
Otherwise, I'm working in my own strength. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing of spiritual or lasting value. Do you believe that this morning? That's humbling. Saying, Lord, again, Lord, I need you. Listen, this morning, if we don't apprehend this, if we don't hold on to this and grasp this, two things will inevitably happen. They will happen for sure. Number one, I will walk in hypocrisy. Or number two, I'll be swollen with pride. What do you mean by that, Mike? If you believe you have to measure up to be used by God, you know what you'll become? You'll become a phony. You'll put on a facade. You'll pad your resume. You'll pretend you don't stink. You'll act like you got it all together and that you don't have problems like everyone else here, like every one of us. But if you simply embrace this truth of who you are and who is in you, listen, you don't have to try to be somebody else. You can say, Lord, here's my life. I can walk in honesty and transparency. I haven't arrived. I need the Lord, just like everyone else. The other danger is the flip side, and God would warn us of this also this morning. The, other, the flip side is pride. And people sometimes come here to church, and you know what they say? Dude, I got it all together, bro. I can really add something to this church. I'm leadership material, man. Just check out my credentials. And it's like, sorry, bro, you're not qualified. Come back when you're broken. Because you're really not all that. And if you don't understand this principle, you will look down your spiritual nose at everyone here. And you'll get disgusted. You'll be grossed out by who we are. Spiritual pride is a huge danger. And you know what happens after that? We become critical. Dude's inept. He's inadequate. He's insufficient. Person can't be used by God. He's a loser. He's weak. He's weird. He makes up words from the pulpit. (laughs) You know what I say? I read this. The weirder, the weaker, the more worthless, the better. God wants to use us. You guys remember Gideon? Anybody remember Gideon, super chicken? You guys remember him? Book Book of Judges. You guys remember Gideon? I don't remember, when's the last time you read about Gideon? Judges, I think it's like six through eight, somewhere in that region. The book of Judges is God's people. They're everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. And so God warned the children of Israel, don't get involved with those pagan, heathen practices. Don't do what they're doing. Don't do what the world's doing. And what do they do? That sounded right. They got involved with the things he warned them about. He said, if you get involved with that stuff, you're going to get brought into bondage by it. Just like he warns us today. Same thing. He warns us about stuff, right? And we kind of ignore it sometimes and we get caught up. And so they got caught up. Vicious cycle. They get involved. They get caught up. They cry out to the Lord. And what would the Lord do? God is so good, isn't he? He'd send them judges, deliverers, rescuers, men and women. Correct? You guys still with me? So in Gideon's day, it was the Midianites. They were the bad, they were the bad bullies on the block. They'd come into the land of Israel, steal all the crops, mess with them, abuse them. And then we see there's this one dude named Gideon. And he's in his dad's wine press and he's making sure no one sees him. 
he's, he's sifting through the wheat, right? Making sure, looking, make sure no Midianites are around because they're going to come and rip me off if they see me. But who sees him? God sees him, right? Can you hide from God? Some of you are hiding today. And what, is, what does the Lord say to him? You mighty man of valor. Get hiding in the... I want to use your life. And what does Gideon do? He says, I'm weak. My family's the least, the last. I'm a nobody. I'm a loser. I'm a weirdo. And God says, never mind that. I'm with you. That's always the qualifier. The Lord is with you. There's no excuses. God's with you. I want to use your life, Gideon. But first, you need to go home and clean up your house. You need to go home. There's some things that need to get cleaned up. And he did that, wasn't he? Wasn't he? He put, a, he put a little test to the Lord, making sure it was him, because that's his deal. Puts out fleeces, tests. God answers him. God is gracious. Gideon goes home, cleans up the mess there, the altar of Baal, the, the, all the stuff that this family was, was involved in. And it stirred up his family. That step of obedience, that step of faith to clean up his house affected his home and began to affect the community. All the boys began to rally around Gideon. They're ready to go and fight the Midianites. And what does Gideon do? He puts out his fleeces, right? Lord, if this is you, and we can do that too, can't we? But the Lord wants us to move beyond fleeces, guys, to grow up. But God is gracious. He answered him, answered the fleeces. And so Gideon rallied the troops. And there was 135,000 Midianites plus Amalekites and some other bruisers. And how many guys were rallied around him? 30, I think it was 32,000. So it's 135,000 bad guys and 32,000 Gideon and the boys. How are those odds? You know what God said? You got too many people, Gideon. Because what's going to happen is, when I give you the victory, you're going to take credit. Sometimes I wonder if God does that with his church, too, by the way. If you have 10,000 people, I can't because you're going to take credit for it yourselves. I'm going to keep it lean and mean. Let that one wash over us this morning. So what does God say? Anyone that's scared, tell them to go home. And what happened? You guys remember what happened? 12,000 went home, <coughs> left with 10,000. What does God say to Gideon? So they got too many. <laughs> what? They got 135,000, Lord. We got 10,000. What do you mean too many? Got too many. And so what did God tell him to do? Take all the men down to the well of Herod. By the way, when we go to Israel, we're going to check that out when we're there. Go there, and here's what I want you to do. You're going to put the men to a test, and you're going to have the men take a drink of water. And some will stick their head in the water immediately and just drink the water, but some will, will take a drink of water like this. The ones that pick it up and, and lap like a dog, I want them to go with you. So 9,700 men stuck their head right in the water drank. And God said, dismiss them. Send them home. Gideon, you got your 300 men. You ever wonder why? I've heard lots of like commentators. It was because they were like really, they were really like a, 
observant and, and, and keen and, and with a watchful eye. I don't think that was it at all. I think the rough and tumble guy stuck their head in the water and God said, send them home, the dainty dudes. <laughs> my opinion. Because who's going to get the credit? Who's going to get the credit in this thing? God is 300 men. I told you, someone's going to get offended here. So they're ready to go. They got their 300 men. And what happened? God said, okay, go get them. But if you're scared still, Gideon, isn't the story great? If you're still a little chicken, I want you to go down into the camp and listen to what they're saying. You take your servant Pura with you. So Gideon grabs his, his servant Pura. They cruise down to the camp. It's dark. No one can see them. And there's two dudes having a conversation. And the one guy, he said, I had a bad dream. I had a nightmare. And his buddy says, tell me about it. What, what happened? He says, you'll never believe what happened. I, I woke up and I saw this little bun rolling down the hill, a barley bun, and it knocked over our tent. And the guy goes, and the guy interprets the dream and says, that's the sword of Gideon. They're going to take us out. How in the world did he get that? It's an <laughs> interpretation. Because it was for Gideon. Because it says right then and there, when Gideon heard that, he worshipped the Lord. Because now he has a fear of God that is stronger than the fear of man. Awesome. First time he worships. So what does he do? Okay, guys, 300 men. We're going we're gonna to split up in three different groups. Okay, got it? And, okay, Gideon, what are we going to use for weapons? Uh, you're not going to use weapons. What? Not going to use weapons. I want you guys to get your horns. And then you're going to have a little, a little uh, candle with a bowl over it, a clay pot. And when I blow my horn, everybody blow their horns. Crack your pots and let your light shine. And God's going to give us the victory. Dude, party favors? That's how we're going to win the battle? Are you crazy? So they do it. And what happens? They, they blow their little horns for the Lord, let their lights so shine before men, and God gave them the victory. God made the Midianites turn on themselves, and they, they chased all the rest of them and wiped them out. Can you imagine sitting around the campfire that night? You were one of those that left early on. You were one of the fearful. Dude, how did you guys do it? 300 men? How in the world did you do that? Hey, all we did was go and we got out the party favors. We blew our horns, let our light so shine, and God did it. And you know, and, and that person would say, you know what? I could have done the same thing. I could have done that. And you know what? That's the point. You could have done that. You could have, God would have used you. Because all you got to do is show up and say, Lord, here's my life. I'm a weirdo, I'm a loser. God says, that's okay, you're perfect. You're a perfect fit. If you don't like that, you'll never fit in with what God wants to do and the way that he wants to do it. Let's face it, you guys, we're all a little tweaked. <laughs> Something's off. We are all in need of Jesus. And the Lord says, that's what I like about you. I like that you're tweaked. I like that you're a loser. I like that you're a no-namer. 
You're just my kind. And if we truly understand that biblically, the ultimate qualification for God's kingdom and to be a part of his work is all about being a weirdo, a loser. It's freeing. We accept that. Okay, I get it. I'm down. I don't have to try to be something I'm not. I'm accepted by him. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm okay. And my brothers and sisters, they too are accepted in the Lord. And God can do amazing things through our weakness. Listen, one more thing on this point, on this whole deal. You know, when we understand God's qualifications for his calling, we realize something else. We got lots of company. We're a weird crew. We're all family. We look around our church, the assortment of people, but it goes beyond these, these church walls, you guys, to our other brothers and sisters in the Lord that even though they may be weird and nuts and losers, they're our family too. And that's what we are. And when we accept that, listen, when we accept this, when we accept this truth of God's choosing, we will grow in grace. We will, we will give grace and space to people who mess up. And if we don't accept, listen, one more point here, about 50 points. If we don't accept other people's weirdness, we will be unable to connect with one another as the Lord desires us to. The first issue Paul addressed was division. Paul's trying to help them get along. Well, why does God do it this way? It seems illogical. Look at the next verse, verse 29. That no flesh, no human being, not one person can boast in the presence of the Lord. Not one of us can take credit no one can take the bows for God. No one can get the glory but God alone. And you may be sitting here going, well, is God on some kind of ego trip, man? Is God on an ego trip? No way. He knows if we get the glory, it's going to corrupt us. We'll be glory takers. And we'll be the ones tripping out, thinking we're awesome, thinking we're hot stuff, and we're not. Listen, being a person with vast worldly wisdom or you're super powerful, back to 26, or you're of high rank or special pedigree, there's a danger of those things being hindrances to entering God's kingdom. But not just that, you also run the risk, listen, you also run the risk of being a liability in his kingdom if you are trusting in those things. Did you catch that? No? You run the risk of being a liability if you trust in those things, in human wisdom, in human strength, in your own smarts, your own pedigree. Really? Is that true, Pastor? How about Moses? You guys remember Moses? You guys remember Moses? You guys still with me this morning? How long was he in Egypt? This is not a trick question. You guys know this, don't you? So, okay, let's break it down. 120 years total for Moses. It's broken into three forties. First 40 years was where? In Egypt. It says in the book of Acts, if you're taking notes, chapter 7, check it out later. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt and was mighty in words and in deeds. You guys remember what happened with Moses? 40 years old, he comes strutting out, sees his buddy, right, his Jewish brethren, getting worked by an Egyptian officer, looks this way, looks that way, and <coughs> kills the Egyptian, right, buries him in the sand. 
And he assumed, he assumed that everybody would be on board with him, that he would be the one leading them, delivering them out of Egypt at that time. It's me. I'm mighty in words and in deeds. I'm a powerful dude. I got all the wisdom of Egypt. Everybody will know I'm the, I'm the chosen one. And what happened? He needed 40 years where? In the desert. To learn about brokenness. To learn about faithfulness. To learn about taking care of something else. Some, something that belongs to someone else. He took care of his father-in-law's flocks, right? That's called a steward. Taking care of something that doesn't belong to you. 40 years, he was learning the terrain where he would lead the people. Being trained in ignorance. Getting Egypt out of him. Because what happened at the end of the 40 years in Egypt? God came to him, right? Where? In the burning, the burning bush. All right, Moses, let's go. It's time. What did Moses say? I can't talk. No way. You get, you, someone, get my brother. 40 years in Egypt, becoming a somebody. 40 years in the desert, becoming a nobody. And God said, I'm with you. Let's go. And Moses went. You guys remember? Because now, listen, I had to go through that period too in my own life where God needs to break us. God has to let us get to the end of ourselves where we are broken. The stubborn self is busted. We come to a place where God can say, now in your brokenness, I can use you. When you were cocky and arrogant and full of pride, I couldn't reach you. But now you fit in. Now we can get somewhere because you're broken. Because when you're broken, you look to him. You don't look to your own smarts, your own wisdom, your own strength. And when we come to that place, we realize, you know what we realize? That our strengths aren't that big of a deal. Our weaknesses are the things that God actually uses. And what happens? He is seen. He is the one that's seen, not us. If we get the glory, if people are impressed with us, they won't see him. Who's, who's supposed to get the glory? The Lord is. And as we yield ourselves to him, to his work, it's beautiful. God gets the glory and people see who he really is, you guys. They see Jesus. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. And he goes on to talk about the Lord. Look at how great Jesus is. Verse 30. But of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. That's our position, our location, in Christ Jesus, who became for us, number one, what did he become for us? Wisdom from God. This is so beautiful. Because of Jesus, we are now able to walk in God's wisdom. His knowledge, his understanding. That word wisdom literally means clear or clarity. And didn't that happen when you gave your life to the Lord? As you begin to walk with him, as you spend time with him in his word, things become clearer and clearer, don't they? I mean, there's sometimes you're going through like storms or whatever. It's dark. You can't, you know, you can't trace the Lord, but he wants us to trust him. And you don't understand exactly what's going on, but you know his word says he works all things together for good because I love him. It's okay. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I know why I'm here. There's clear. There's clearness. Is that a word, clearness? I just made it up. If it's not clearness, there's clarity. Because of his wisdom. So he gives us wisdom, doesn't he? It says in Proverbs chapter 2, I love this. 
Proverbs 2, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Number two, look what it says, verse 30. Because of Jesus, we have received right standing with God. That's what righteousness means, right standing with God. We are acceptable to God. Is anybody happy about that? Isaiah was pretty stoked about it. Isaiah 61. Why was Isaiah so greatly rejoicing? He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Is my robe better than your robe? Is your robe better than my robe? It's not, is it? We each have the same robe. It's, it's, we can't make it better. We can't make it worse. It's a free gift. Isaiah's like, yes. Woo-hoo! Greatly rejoice. That's my greatest <laughs> yell I could come up with. Yes. He's given me righteousness. God's righteousness. A robe. Somehow, but we can look down on others, can't we? I'm pretty special. I've got this robe, you know. Those weirdos, those losers over, you know. Calvary Baytown. No, just kidding. <laughs> Strike that from the tape. That was bad. Bad pastor. Bad pastor. What's the third thing? Sanctification. Because of Jesus, we are growing in holiness, guys. Because of Jesus, we're changed from the inside out, transformed to become more like him. Isn't that beautiful? And some of us, we're at different places, aren't we? Kind of like 290 is getting a little better than, a little more worked on than another area of town. We're all under construction. We've all, some of us have been in the hospital a little bit longer. Some of you have just got into the hospital. Welcome to the hospital. The great physician is in the house to help you, to heal you, to work in your life. He's also, because of Jesus, notice the last thing. We have been what? We've been redeemed. We've been purchased in order to be set free. We have freedom in Him. I, I was reading the other day in the Gospel of Luke. You guys remember when Jesus went to church? You guys remember that? Which time, Pastor? Um, when He was in Nazareth. He came to Nazareth. As His custom was, He went to the synagogue. His custom was to go to church. And then He got the handoff. They gave Him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when He opened the book, He found the place where it was written... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Isn't that glorious? Listen, the Lord is here this morning with the power to heal. Paul had to remind the church of Corinth that the Lord is there at church when you gather together in a special way to set captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, to give recovery of sight to the blind. You've gotten a little less clear, a little less clarity in your spiritual sight. The Lord wants to recover. Wants to recover that. Because maybe you've been putting the wrong stuff in. Your, your spiritual sight is getting a little fuzzy. The Lord is here to help you. 
And I think what Paul's saying as we get back to 1 Corinthians 1 here as we finish this morning, I think simply he's saying stop worrying about who you are and start rejoicing in who he is. Are you with me this morning? As it is written, he's quoting from Jeremiah 9. As it is written, last verse, if you're going to boast, if you're going to rejoice, if you're going to glory, then glory in who? In Jesus. It's literally as a lifestyle continually, progressively, habitually boast. Literally, literally, glory means to hold your head up high. Some people hold their head up high because they think they're all that, right? Isn't that what people do? Like they hold their head up high? The Lord says, if you're going to hold your head up high, hold it up because of Jesus. In fact, he's quoting from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Wise man, strong man, don't boast in any of that. But he who boasts, boasts in this. That he knows and understands me, says the Lord. The Lord wants us to know him and understand him and that that would be our boast, that we would glory in him. Amen? Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you so much this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for ministering to our hearts. For meeting meeting with us in a special way. I pray, Lord, that we would take away those things that have come from your heart. That we would walk in your wisdom, your strength. (coughs) That you'd get all the glory, all the praise. And this morning, as we're still in an attitude of prayer, perhaps you've been listening and you know the Lord has spoken to your heart on this issue of 